When Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue rulers, named Jairus, came there. Seeing Jesus, he fell at his feet and pleaded earnestly with him, My little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her, that she will be healed and lived. So Jesus went with him. A large crowd followed and pressed around him, and a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for twelve years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had. Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak, because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately, her bleeding stopped, and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. At once, Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, Who touched my clothes? You see the people crowding against you, his disciples answered. And yet you can ask who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet, and trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. He said to her daughter, Your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. While Jesus was still speaking, some men came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue ruler. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? Ignoring what they said, Jesus told the synagogue ruler, Don't be afraid, just believe. He did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When they came to the home of the synagogue ruler, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, While this commotion and wailing, the child is not dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him. After he put them all out, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him and went in where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha kum, which means little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately the girl stood up and walked around. She was 12 years old. At this they were completely astonished. He gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this and told them to give her something to eat. Thanks, Maddie. Just gonna move a few things here. Oh, you said it was a dinosaur. It's an elephant. Little request before I walked up. Oh, you're welcome, Jack. What would you consider risky behavior? Do you know he threw an elephant in the service? Yeah. (laughs) Skydiving? Would that be risky behavior for you? What's some risky behaviors? Race car driving, okay. What else? Bungee jumping. (laughs) What's that? Driving the deer foot. How many of you Calgarians know that driving the deer foot is risky behavior? (laughs) Amen to that. Pardon? Oh, preaching is very risky behavior. Yeah. Coming to church. How about this one? A Walmart greeter on a Black Friday sale. Yeah. Yeah. Or how about this? Cheering wildly for the stamps at a rider's home game. And then, and then the ultimate was switching your family to decaf without telling them. Risky behavior. 
Now, when you think of risky behavior, how many of us think of prayer as risky behavior? When you think of risky behavior, how many of us would say coming to Jesus, following Jesus, is risky behavior? That when we approach Jesus, when we say yes to his leadership in our lives, we're actually engaging in some very risky behavior. And if you've never considered prayer risky, or if you've never considered following Jesus risky, or coming, coming to even Jesus for help, then I invite you to look at these stories that we're going to look at today that Maddie read for us. Because as we do, we're going to see that the element of risk elevates the experience of grace that these people have. The element of risk elevates the experience of grace. We're in Mark chapter 5 today, and it's a unique set of stories exploring this risky faith, demonstrating risky prayer, prayer that's both spoken as well as acted out. A little catch-up, maybe a little overview would be helpful for us. We are, we've been discovering more and more about Jesus as we journey through Mark's story together. We're just into chapter 5. We, we started in the fall. And you remember that there's this set of questions that helps us get into this story of Mark. The set of questions are quite simple. Who is Jesus and can we trust him? Who is Jesus and can we trust him? And probably for the first half of Mark especially, right up to chapter 8, that, those are the primary, that's the primary set of questions that we read this gospel story of Mark uh, with. We, we, we let those questions kind of form us because we see that that's what this writer, Mark, is doing. As the story unfolds, he's trying to show us this is who Jesus is. And as we come to see who Jesus is, to see that we really can trust him. These last couple of stories we looked at um, the, the lordship or the mastery of Jesus, this good King Jesus, has really been highlighted. And today it's capped off with this intricate uh, story of, of healing. Think back just a few weeks to that story of Jesus crossing the sea. Jesus calms the storm with a word, and he reveals himself to be the Lord over creation. But as we looked at, he crossed this water and he silenced the storm because he was going somewhere. He was going across the water to save and redeem and free this one very, very broken man. And he frees this man's life from the destructive powers of thousands of unclean spirits. And through that story, we see that this, this Jesus, who is the Lord over all creation, is also the Lord over all powers, that nothing can separate us from his love. And then today, we see him in this healing story that he is the Lord over all disease and over death itself. Now, a little bit about how this story is told, and then we'll dive right into it. I want you to imagine now your favorite sandwich. Got it in your mind? Oh, come on. What would the bread be? Would it be a multigrain? Spelt or something? Kamut? What would it be? Some beautiful, fluffy white bread? Okay, and then in, inside of it, what would be inside of it? What would be your favorite thing? Would it be bacon? Lots and lots of bacon, dripping with cheese, melted cheese, fresh tomatoes, a bunch of, you know, alfalfa sprouts. What would it be, Gary? What, what, what else would be in that sandwich? Prosciutto. Yeah, that's, that, there you go. What else would be in that sandwich? Okay, avocado, beautiful. So you imagine your favorite sandwich. Well, Mark actually tells this story using a method called, yes, the sandwich method. I don't think they called it back then, the sandwich method, but that's what we call it. Where he starts with a story, it's the top layer, and then 
In the middle of the story is another story. So he starts with the Jairus story, we heard it, and then inside there's this second story that sits inside the bigger story. And then he finishes by coming back to the Jairus story. It's called the sandwich technique. And how it works is by using this, um, he's able to highlight truth from both stories and use them to reinforce something and and make it even greater and more understandable for us. And we're going to see how these people, as they take a risk of faith in Jesus, the result is they experience his goodness in their lives, transforming their lives. So let's, let's walk through this story together. There are Bibles in, in uh, your benches. If you'd like to, to follow along in Mark chapter 5, it's in the New Testament, second book. You can find it in the table of contents. Uh, but we're going to just walk through it together. So first, we start with this guy, Jairus. He's a leader in his local synagogue, which um, the synagogue is just a local gathering of Jewish people where they meet for basically for prayer and, and reading the Bible together. That's kind of what it was all about. So let's, let's pick it up. This is what it says. When Jairus saw Jesus, he fell at his feet, pleading fervently with him, my little daughter is dying, please come, lay your hands on her, heal her so she can live. And Jesus went with him. The people followed, crowding around him. The, star, the story starts fairly normal, right? We've, 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 uh, we've seen this story before. Jesus arrives in the scene. Everyone knows by now that he has the power to heal the sick. And, and so then this guy arrives, the micro story, he arrives, falls on his feet, asks Jesus to heal. It's kind of an open shot, fairly simple story. We've kind of heard it before already in the Gospel of Mark. But it says we're walking along with Jesus and Jairus toward his home that things change, things take a turn. As we're going with Jesus and Jairus, I want you to imagine for just a moment how Jairus is feeling at this point. Because see, he may have been waiting for Jesus to come. He may have been hoping for He may have been praying for days that God would intervene and heal his daughter. And now Jesus is here. I mean, what was filling his heart as he walked along? Was, it, was he filled with hope again? Uh, was he still feeling anxious? Uh, was he just feeling incredible relief? What was he feeling as he, as he was hustling along, as his heart was racing, maybe his feet were moving to beat the clock? And now I want you to begin to feel some of his frustration as the crowds begin to, ah, oh, crowd around Jesus, notice Jesus. They all want a piece of Jesus too, you know. Like Jairus, they have needs, right? There's people in their life that need Jesus to heal them. Maybe they themselves need Jesus. And, and so they start crowding around him. Can you imagine how Jairus might be feeling at this point? What do you think he's feeling? Is he feeling despair? <clears throat> Frustration? He just wants to shout, get out of the way, you know? Move! I mean, I know if I were Jairus, I wouldn't be giving any grace at all to that crowd. It would be, move or be moved, right? This is my daughter. This is my child we're talking about. Get out of the way. You'd be hoping for a big stick. You'd be like Moses and just part the crowd with a few well-placed blows, you know? Just start wielding the thing. That's what you want, right? Get out of the way. There's more important things going on than you lot, right? My daughter is at home. She's dying. Jesus is coming with me. He said yes to me. You know, he's on my team now. Get out of the way so Jesus can do his thing in my life. So imagine his horror when he realizes that Jesus has stopped. You know? He's stopped. And not just to talk to someone. He's looking for someone. He's like, he's, like he's forgotten what he's been, you know, he's forgotten what he had asked him to do. He's forgotten that his little girl is dying. He's looking around for someone. Doesn't he realize, doesn't this Jesus know how urgent his situation is? Think about it. 
Think about how Jairus would be feeling at this moment. Just want to scream. And that's where Jairus is left at that point. Jairus, desperate as he is, knowing his daughter might be slipping away at this point, he's forced to stand and watch as Jesus is interrupted and takes time for one miserable woman. Right? And Jairus. That, that's, that's where that scene, that first, the first top layer of the sandwich, the first scene kind of ends with Jairus jumping back and forth from foot to foot, wondering what's going to happen to his daughter. Enter Jane Doe. The bleeding woman. What happened to Jesus? Jesus is in the middle of this jostling crowd, this mob scene, and he realizes that someone has touched him. Well, what has happened? A woman in the crowd had been suffering for 12 years with constant bleeding. Now, constant bleeding is a serious medical issue, right? Serious medical issue today. And it's like she's had a constant menstrual period. And at least half of us know how terrible that would be, right? So she's in trouble. And a little background would be helpful here. So we can get the physical thing. Like, that's terrible. But it's more than that for this woman. Because it ruins her life spiritually as well and socially as well. She's actually considered unclean under the law that had been given to Moses. So I'm going to reach way back to a law, kind of an obscure law. And for some of you, this is brand new. I get it. Uh, kind of an obscure law that actually has to do with a woman bleeding. Like you didn't expect to come and hear that this morning, I know. But here it is, from Leviticus 15, a little background to help us understand just how tough the life was for this woman. The physical stuff aside, the physical stuff was terrible, but what it also meant for her larger spiritual and social life. So listen to this. Whenever a woman has her menstrual, menstrual period, she'll be ceremonially unclean for seven days. So a week out of the month. Anyone who touches her during that time will be unclean until evening. And the details, everything this woman sits on, if you touch anything that she has touched, uh, you yourself are unclean. You've got to wash your clothes. You've got to get pure again. And, and, then, and then to top it all off, if she's in a relationship, uh, she can't have sex because, because that would make the other person unclean for the, the same amount of time as her. So it really gets into details. And then it goes on. It says, if a woman has a flow of blood for many days that's unrelated to her menstrual period, or if the blood continues beyond the normal period, she will be ceremonially unclean. As during her menstrual period, so all the same rules apply, the woman will be unclean as long as the discharge continues. You hear that? Get the picture here? This woman's been bleeding for 12 years. 12 years. She's been suffering for 12 years. She's been considered unclean for 12 years. And because of that unclean condition, she hasn't been able to worship at the temple. She hasn't been able to go to a local synagogue. She isn't able to meet with friends very much, at least not close. She's not able to be in a relationship with a man. She's been living untouched and ostracized. It's most likely, depending on when her bleeding started, that she was a virgin or probably divorced, probably even childless because of this. So this is a raw deal. This is a very difficult situation. And then, to make matters worse, in her desperate effort to get well, and some of us know what that would be like, where you're, you're suffering so bad that you just do, you'll do anything to get better, she, I pick it up in the, in the Bible, she had suffered a great deal from many doctors, and over the years she had spent everything she had to pay them. She'd gotten no better. In fact, she'd gotten worse. So physically and financially she was in rough shape. But then she heard about this Jesus. And what she began to hear about Jesus was really good. Right? 
she began to hear stories of people who'd been healed from crazy sickness, people who'd been so beyond help. And, and she began to wonder if maybe, maybe this Jesus could do something for her. And what's more, this healer, Jesus, he didn't charge. He didn't charge for his healings, which is good, because at this point she was totally broke. And so based on what she had heard, she decided she'd try to find him. She'd even heard that you know, all kinds of people could come to him, that this, this, this Jesus would heal rich and poor and, 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 and farmers and tax collectors, anyone. And so somehow, as she heard about this Jesus, she decided she'd go and find him. And there she is that day when the crowd circles around Jesus and Jesus is following Jairus to his house. And she'd heard enough about Jesus that she decides to do a very, very risky thing. She decides to do something that was actually against the law. She decides to do something inappropriate and unacceptable culturally and religiously. She pushes her way through the jostling crowd. She keeps her eyes fixed on Jesus and she ignores the fact that each and every person that she happens to brush up against, touch her, elbow her, press to get past her, were in fact becoming unclean without even knowing it. And in her desperation, she performs an act of religious defiance, of risky faith. She comes up behind Jesus, through the crowd, and she touched his robe. For she thought to herself, if I can just touch his robe, I'll be healed. Now think about that for a moment. The one thing she's not supposed to do is what? Touch people. And not let them touch her. That's the one thing she's not supposed to do but it's the one thing she says, if I can just touch him, I'll be healed. Isn't that astonishing? Isn't that risky? This woman touches the robe of Jesus. Not only has she broken the law by contaminating everyone around her, but she has the nerve to reach out and touch the garment of a holy man, of this esteemed rabbi, of this prophet and healer, and she does it without permission. This is tremendous risk. What could have happened to this woman? Oh, where did my microphone go? (laughs) Yes, that's right. All right. Well, you all heard that, even if the people listening to this later didn't get all of it. I'm going to continue. Where am I? Oh, yes. Tremendous risk. What could have happened to this woman? Well, she could have been discovered and denounced publicly, right? It could have led her to greater degrees of shame. She could have been hauled before the religious authorities because she had broken the law. She could have suffered even more greatly for her actions. She could have been stoned by this crazy crowd on the spot. She could have been disappointed even. Just her presumption about Jesus' healing power, maybe it wouldn't have worked because of what she had done. She may have risked all this for nothing and in the end be even more disillusioned. She could have incurred the judgment of God. She could have been subject to criticism from Jesus. She could have. But that's not what happened. What happened? She was healed. I mean, it's, it's, just, it's just the opposite of everything 
that we might have expected. Not, not, I mean, once we now know Jesus, we, we kind of are leaning that way. But there's, it's, it's such behavior that stands so outside the lines. And yet, here she is healed. Immediately, the bleeding stopped. She could feel it in her body that she'd been healed of her terrible 12-year-long condition. And Jesus realized at once that healing power had gone out from him. So he turns around to this crowd of jostling people and says, Who touched me? Right? Hands went up everywhere. Yeah, right? Who touched me? But of course, he doesn't mean just who, you know, general. There's a specific person that's touched him. He wants to know who it is. Jesus knew that something had happened, but he didn't know who it had happened for. And he won't let it go. He wants to know this person. He wants to know who risked this encounter. He wants to know who's been healed without his intention by risking in faith to touch him. And so he's scanning the crowd. He's trying to meet the eyes. He's trying to see who it is. You can just see her, right? She's like, eyes down, don't look around. She's afraid, and yet she's joyful because something amazing has just happened in her life, but she doesn't know what's going to happen. But Jesus keeps looking around to see who had done it. And then this frightened woman, and you can imagine the fear she might have been facing, trembling at the realization of what had happened to her, came and fell to her knees in front of him and told him what she had done. She confessed to her law-breaking faith her risky trust in his healing power. And trembling with fear, she pours pours out her whole story. Her risk of faith was rewarded with healing grace. She reached out to touch him without permission. She crossed the social line. She broke the religious law. And Jesus commends her for it. Jesus commends her for it. And by drawing her out, letting her tell her whole story, her battle with this illness, all the, the various ways she tried to receive healing and the, the various ways she tried to get better and all the tragedy that occurred in her life as she pours out her whole story to Jesus. And the crowd who is standing there hears it. What Jesus does is he, he takes her healing public. He moves it from a drive-by healing that's kind of private to a public demonstration of his goodness in risky faith. He restores her to dignity by letting her tell her whole story and by, by, by saying what he says next, he's, he's saying, this woman's clean now. This woman's whole. This woman can be fully embraced into the kingdom of God that I'm bringing. And he assures her that her act of risky faith is good and holy and pure and, and actually crucial to her healing. You are whole, Jesus says. You are whole because you trusted me. Be fully whole. Live the life you were created to live. I want to pause right here to explore something with you, something that I noticed as I, re- as I reflected and meditated on this story, on these stories, and I, I called it the cycle of trust. If you can think of a better name, please do. Jack, you can bring it up on the, on the screen. What I noticed is this, that when a person trusts in Jesus and they come to know, or begin to hear, begin to sense that this Jesus is good and then I can trust them. As they trust in Jesus... The more that their trust grows, the more they are willing to risk in coming to him, in getting to him, in finding out more about him. And that risk is not without reward because the more that they risk, it seems, the more they receive. And as we receive from Jesus, as we experience healing in our lives, as we experience his purpose in our lives, as we begin to know that he's good, 
and then he's transforming us and somehow our relationships are beginning to take on a whole new shape and we begin to experience his blessing and healing in our lives, well then, we're just that much more willing to trust him, aren't we? Our trust grows through that, which I think in turn leads us to even greater risks. You see that in the life of this Jane Doe? She heard about Jesus. She grew to trust his power and goodness could heal her if she could just get close enough to steal a touch. So she takes this risk. And because of her risk, she receives full healing in her life, which restores her physically, socially, and spiritually. And because of what she had received, she, she was moved from an impersonal trust that I think, I think this Jesus guy can heal me. He doesn't even need to know it. Right? He's moved, she's moved from an impersonal trust to a personal relationship. A personal trust that now just Jesus, when she's walking away after Jesus is interacting with her, this Jesus heard my story. He affirmed what I had done. She doesn't have to slink away and, and kind of try to make up a story as to why she's healed now. Jesus brought her out in the open. Jesus engaged her personally. Jesus looked her in the eyes and he showed her that he was thrilled with what she had done. That she had exercised this risky faith and he loved her for it. How much more did her trust in Jesus grow through what she received from him? I'd like to, you to reflect for a moment on ways that's been true in your life. You know, some of you are in, in, in we're all in different spots, but some of you are in, in an experience where you're just growing in that trust piece. You've been coming to know who Jesus is. You've been hearing about Jesus. Maybe you've been traveling here at the Erickson Covenant Church for a while and you've been reading the story of Mark or hearing about the story and and you're beginning to feel like, yeah, I think I'm beginning to believe that he really is good and I can trust him. And you might be at a place in your life where it's time for you to take a risk. Maybe that risk is just starting to really read your Bible (laughs) with some friends. That can feel pretty risky. Maybe, Maybe the risk is to say yes to Jesus. And say, you know, Jesus, I want to follow you. I don't know all that that means, but I'm ready to follow. Maybe, maybe that risk for you is, is to, to actually say, you know what? I'm going to decide baptism is the thing for me. I'm going to actually confess Jesus publicly through baptism. I don't know what that is for you. For others, you've been following Jesus for a while. And Jesus is asking you to, to, to move it up a whole notch to a whole other level of risk in your life. And what we see in this story is that as we grow in our trust and we're willing to risk, we're going to receive from him unimaginable goodness in our lives, which is going to move us to greater levels of trust and risk. We're going to come back to that because we aren't finished the story yet, are we? We just finished the inside of the sandwich, and now we're moving back to Jairus. So this woman leaves, and the camera pans back to Jairus. Poor Jairus. He's been sitting there wringing his hands, feeling a dread sick coming on because this this story this woman is telling 12 years, and she had to give so much detail. You know, you can imagine the guy. It's like, oh, come on, lady. You're healed. Move on. My, my, my daughter's sick still. And as Jesus is just still speaking with her, messengers arrive from the house of Jairus, this leader of the synagogue, and they told him, your daughter's dead. There's no use troubling the teacher now. What's implied in that statement? No, no use troubling Jesus anymore now. She's dead already, so let's just forget it and go home to mourn. You know, we all had enough trust that Jesus had the power to heal her while she was sick, but now she's beyond help. Which is understandable because, hey, in their world at that point, 
in what they had seen from Jesus so far. Sick people get healed by Jesus, but dead people, let's be serious here. Dead people stay dead, right? And here's where Jesus steps in to coach Jairus in his faith. Coach him to take a greater risk. He says, Jairus, don't be afraid. Just have faith. Don't be afraid. I mean, my, my worst fears have just been realized. Don't be afraid. My worst nightmare has come true. Don't be afraid. That's right, Jesus says. Don't be afraid. Just have faith, or maybe more accurately translated, keep on having faith. Keep on believing in me, Jairus. Keep on trusting in me. Jairus, you had the faith to come to me, believing that I could heal your daughter. And now you need to take your trust in me to a whole new level, believing that I can still do something powerful in your life and in her life. If you'll do that, Jairus, if you'll just risk that much faith and keep coming with me home, you're going to receive more than you can imagine. So Jesus stops the crowd at that point, go home, and he wouldn't let anyone else go with him except Peter, James, and John. So they came to the house of the synagogue leader, and Jesus sees the big commotion, the weeping, the wailing. Professional mourners would have arrived at that point to help the family grieve Because if they can wail and scream professionally, it gives the family the freedom to let go themselves. And and so he goes inside and he says, why are you guys all screaming and yelling? Why all this commotion and weeping? The child's not dead. She's only asleep. And the crowd laughed at him because they're professional mourners. They know what dead people look like. They're pretty familiar with death. And in that day, more familiar than we are. But Jesus made them all leave. Clears the house takes the girl's father and mother and his three disciples into the room where the girl was lying. Holding her hand, he says, Talitha kum, which means little girl, get up. And the girl, who was just an interesting little factoid on Mark's part, 12 years old, woman bled for 12 years, girl 12 years old, she stood up. She walked around. They were overwhelmed and totally amazed, and Jesus gave them strict orders not to tell anyone what had happened. You just want to say to Jesus at this point, good luck with that. But he gave them strict orders not to tell anyone what had happened, and they told, they told them to give her, give her something to eat. Jairus was willing to take a risk and follow Jesus home, and as a result of this risk, he experiences grace and healing. And the cycle of trust continues. When Jairus came, his faith was what? His faith was big. I'm not, I'm not diminishing his faith when he came to Jesus at first. But by the end of the story, his faith had grown because of the risk he had taken in following Jesus home and seeing his goodness touch his daughter's life. Does, that raise any, does this story raise any questions for you? We have time for a couple questions. Does this story raise any, any questions for you as we walk through the story before we bring it home and ask, what does this mean for us? Any questions? If you have questions today that you'd like to voice or maybe a comment, Al has a microphone. And unlike me, we'd like to hear you. Any questions or comments that you'd like to make today? How does this cycle of trust work in your life? Or what do you see happening in this text? And maybe you have a question just about the story itself. Maybe there's something about it that confused you. Anything you'd like to ask? Becky, wait for the microphone. Yeah. Uh, just any thoughts on why he told the woman to share her story to the crowd and yet in this sense... He's saying, no, don't tell anyone. Isn't that interesting? 
I think it has to do with, in, in the woman's case, her full healing required it to be public. In order for her to experience full healing, it had to be public. I also think at that point, the fact that Jesus could heal people was, a, was pretty well known. Yeah. Raising people from the dead, on the other hand, um, is, is, is a new thing. Moved him into a new category. And he's still quite eager to do a lot of teaching and preaching and telling people about the kingdom of God. And it seems like when the news spreads about what he's done, he has a more difficult time doing that. And also, people typically have made, uh, typically make uh, wrong assumptions about who he is. And uh, as soon as he gets the Messiah tag, or as soon as he gets that tag, they immediately import into that all of their own definitions of that. Jesus wants to show them who he is first. He wants to allow his life and his character and his healing and his mighty acts of power to define who he is before they stamp a label on him where they already say they, they know what that means. And so, yeah, it's a bit confusing because remember the guy who was cleansed of the thousands of demons, Jesus said, go and tell. That was a new thing. And in this case, she draws her out publicly, I think, so that her healing is full. It's not just a physical healing that she needed. She needed to be restored to community. And that's the love of Jesus who's willing to say, for this woman's sake, um, we're going to go public with this. Yeah. Thanks for that, Becky. Other questions or comments? Uh, Judy. Al's coming. Excellent. Yep, thanks. Yep, just speaking of it. Yep. How do we know um, when to pray for healing or people to be raised from the dead? <laughs> great question. Or why don't we do it more? Yeah, it's great. So what we... Well, I mean, I don't have the full answer to that one. That's, that's huge. I think that we are coached by Jesus to come to him to pray for anything and everything, to ask in faith for healing, for restoration. And what we experience as we do that, as we risk that, is we do experience his goodness and his blessing and, and I think often his healing in our lives. But we also know that there's people who pray in faith and it's not, it's not magic it's not like you've got to have a certain formula or say it a certain way. Jesus coaches a man like Jairus who had given up and says, just, just, just keep coming. Let's just keep trusting to see what I can do in your life. That Jesus invites us to take risks in coming to him, to ask him, to pray, to ask him to intervene. And, and, and he invites us to do that. We all can think of, of cases where people have prayed in faith and it seems like there hasn't been a response or the response hasn't certainly been what we wanted. I don't know the mystery of all that. I don't understand. There's obviously people in that crowd who probably weren't healed at that point by Jesus either. Focuses on the people who were healed. What, we're, what we hear in this stories again and again is that Jesus invites people to come to him and to ask. What we're told in scripture is to come and to ask in faith, to pray and believe that God has heard you and to keep trusting that he's good. Even in those times, this is when it gets harder. This is when maybe the risk even goes up is when the answer doesn't seem to be what we thought it would be or as fast as we thought it would be. I, I realize that in the context of this story, the delay factor is not very long. But even in this case, you can, you can think there's a delay here. Jesus delayed responding to Jairus' need and worse things happened. And in the end, of course, goodness came out of it. But there's still a delay in there. And we can see that in other people's stories, in our own stories. There's times there's a delay. And, and in this case, Jesus delayed for the sake of someone else. And there's oftentimes, I think of Jairus standing there wondering why Jesus isn't coming with them, not understanding that there's a larger story at work and that we have to trust that Jesus really and truly loves us, that he really and truly is good. 
And that if there is a delay, or if there's something going on, we have to trust that he's got a bigger story in mind, a bigger plan in mind. And it's a good one. That he wants to see us experience healing. That he has already conquered death on our behalf. We have yet to die still physically. We all will. But we are promised resurrection in Jesus because he defeated death and has promised us that just as he rose again from the dead, we too will be raised. So the the disease and death will ultimately be conquered. And in this life, we're invited to bring to him and to to trust him for healing and pray to him for that together in community and, and individually. So we're invited to do that in faith. And I think he often heals and there's times when it seems like there's a delay. That's probably an unsatisfactory answer, but I think it's the reality. Nicky Gumbel, um, one of the, the alpha guy, he talks about their, their growth as a church in, and, and, and as a community and asking for healing. And this is how he put it, and I think this is beautiful. He says, what we found out before is that when we never asked for healing, very few people got healed. And now we pray for healing for everybody, and some people get healed. He says, what we see now is more people are getting healed now, now that we ask for healing all the time, than people when we didn't ask for healing at all. And I think we have to remember that God is good, that if he doesn't heal us at a particular time in our lives, or he doesn't remove a situation or make it better, that we have to decide at that point, am I still going to risk? Am I still going to believe that he's good? Am I still going to believe that he's in my court? Or am I going to walk away in a huff like Jairus could have done and say, I'm not going to believe you anymore because you didn't act as fast or in the way that I thought you should. You've got to believe that he's good, that he's for us. Yeah. Well, we're going to bring it down home now and ask, what does this mean for us? Are we ready to take a risk in our faith? I don't know what that is for you. But what does that involve to take a risk step in your faith in Jesus For some of you, it might be just what we're talking about. That you've been wrestling with a physical ailment and you want to pray for healing. You want to ask Jesus to heal you. And he's present today to do that. For others, maybe maybe we have to be willing to do what Jesus has been asking us to do. That the risk in faith for us is to take that step of obedience. Maybe it's to reach out to a friend that we have been wrestling with. Maybe it's that we are coming to understand that we have gifts to use in ministry and that the risk for us is to offer them in the context of community and saying, you know what, I know that Jesus has called me to serve and I want to serve. I want to use the gifts he's given to me. I don't want to sit on them anymore. I want to use them to to, to work and, and to see lives change as a result. Maybe for some of us, it's the risk of forgiving someone that has harmed us or perhaps the risk of going to someone to ask for forgiveness. Maybe for us today, a lot of us, the risk is just getting honest about where we're at. Getting honest with each other, getting honest with Jesus and saying, here's where I am at. And I I need you to coach me. I need you to to include me. I need you to somehow help me make that next step. I, I don't know what it is for you. But each one of us, I believe, somewhere in that cycle of trust, Maybe we're in a place where we we just need to grow to trust him more. We know that that's where we're at. And that's all right. And your next steps are pretty obvious. You need to keep connecting to community. You need to to dig into that Bible. And maybe you need to get some help on how to do that. Maybe you need to to pray and ask Jesus to show you who he is. Maybe to talk to a trusted Christian friend who will guide you in that so you can grow your trust. 
But there will come a time when you've got to take that step of risk, that step out, that step toward Jesus, confessing, saying, I want to follow him, whatever it is. But I promise you that as you do that, as you take that risk of putting your gifts into ministry, of signing up for leadership, of reaching out into the community, of digging into your Bible, of praying that bold prayer, of saying, Jesus, I need you to do something in my life, and I'm asking you to do it. I'm asking you to give me spirit creativity. I'm asking you to give me leadership gifts. I'm I'm asking you to give me wisdom. I'm asking you to, to give me what I need to serve. Whatever that risk is, that as you do it, you will receive more than you could imagine. That as we step out in risk, we will receive from the goodness of Jesus when we come and ask. And as we do that, you're going to be able to trust him just that much more. Where are you in the cycle of trust? What is your step of risk today? To do that, I want to ask you to do something really physical and really obvious today and for some of you this might be out of your comfort zone and if you're you're really uncomfortable with this you can just stay seated it's all right okay be at peace i mean that but if you're ready to take a step of risk today i want to invite you to do that in a physical way in the front of your benches there are pens and there are papers and there's more up here some papers some pens if you know what that risk is i invite you to take a piece of paper that's in front of your bench and write it down. So knowing that this is going to go public, you might want to be somewhat cryptic with it. If it's, you know, I need to forgive Morgan because he's such a jerk. <laughs> I might want to phrase that differently. Morgan is not a jerk. I have nothing to forgive Morgan for. So that's why I use that illustration. Morgan. I love you, Morgan. <laughs> now Morgan knows what he has to write on his sheet of paper. Yeah. If you can identify what that risk is, for you it might be a real risk. For someone else it might not be a risk at all. That's not the point. What's the risk step for you? What's the risk step for you? What do you need to ask for? What do you need to pray for? What do you need to come to Jesus for? What do you need to step out and do this week as that act of risky faith? What is it for you? I want you to take a moment and think about that. And as, as that comes to you, whatever that step is, I want you to write down the sheet of paper and then when Morgan and Sylvie and the team are leading us in this next song, I'm going to invite you to come up front and tack it with a tack to the cross. Okay? Pretty simple. I'm going to put the risk to Jesus. Say, this is what I'm going to do. This is what I'm praying for today. This is the person I want to reach out to. This is the person I need to forgive. This is the place I need to serve. This is the place that I've been holding up because I haven't been trusting you, but Jesus, it's time to make that step of trust. Whatever that is for you, I invite you to take that bold, risky step and just see what Jesus does with that. If you'd like to, when you come up and tack it to the cross, if you'd like to receive prayer afterwards, I'll be right over there and you can do that. And if there's a big lineup, I'm going to ask a few people to help me uh, to pray with you as well. So that we can pray for each other to maybe solidify this risky step of faith that you're taking today. Is that all clear? Is that all clear? Could the team come and lead us in Be Thou My Vision as I pray for you? That's what you're singing next, right? Be Thou My Vision? Yes. Excellent. Yeah. I'll come to that. Jesus, we know that the more we trust you, the more we're willing to risk. And that as we read in the story today with this woman 
and with this man that the more that they risked, the more they received from your good hand because, Jesus, you are for us. You love us. You know us. You know what that next risk that we need to take. You know what it will do in our lives. You know how it will transform our relationships. You, you know. And you're waiting for us to take that risk. And so, Jesus, today I pray that whatever it is in our lives, that we need to take that risk step, that we would have the courage to do that before you and before each other. Jesus, you love risky faith. And so for each one of us today, may we be ready to take that step because you are good, because you are present. And you reward risky faith. We give this to you today, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. As we sing, please write down your risk and come forward.